Clem Song Sparrow Farm and Nursery grows extraordinary herbaceous perennials, uncommon trees and shrubs, and a selection of luxurious peonies. Song Sparrow Nursery is a proud underwriter of Kendrew's Real Dirt. Songsparrow.com, S-O-N-G-S-P-A-R-R-O-W.com. Underwriting also provided by Plant Skid, Deer and Rabbit Repellent, the first repellent to be listed organic by the Organic Materials Review Institute. Plant Skid is Swedish for plant protection and now comes with a plant protection guarantee. For details, www.plantskid.com. P-L-A-N-T-S-K-Y-D-D. Hello again and welcome. You're listening to Ken Drews and this is... Ken Drew's Real Dirt, The Garden Show. I'm so glad you could join me. We're going to talk about something that's one of my favorite subjects, and that's art in the garden, sculpture in the garden. Uh, when this show airs, I will have seen the sculpture show at Tower Hill Botanic Garden, and uh, I think they have some pictures online at towerhillbg.org. And uh, I, I think that sculpture is a fantastic thing to have in the garden and I'm discovering more and more that the more you have that isn't that doesn't require watering or feeding or pruning the less there is to do so garden art is actually it can contribute to sustainability sounds ridiculous but it's true think about it of course paving may do that too but uh, we'd rather look at art I think um, it's very 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 three varies very difficult to place sculpture to place garden art in the garden. And I always recommend that people don't just uh, go out and buy something and try to find a place for it in the garden. You'll end up driving it all around the whole garden all day. And you, you will find a spot for it, but it's even better to get the piece first. If you're creating a garden or if you're interested in redoing part of your garden or if you want to make a focal point in the garden, a special place to go to, a special place maybe to sit, uh, maybe you want to remove a, well, maybe a tree has died and fallen down and you have you find yourself in, with an open space. And that's not always the happiest thing. And sometimes you want to plant something right away, but maybe this is the spot for some art. And uh, as we want to reduce maintenance in the garden, art may be a way to do it. And art can range from something very simple and very inexpensive. It could be a tire planter. That's free. Or it can be uh, something that we're going to talk about today, which is a garden telescope. Can you imagine a garden telescope? We've had different kinds of weather instruments and date instruments and, of course, time instruments like a sundial. But this is a garden telescope, first developed in the early 1920s, and now it's being reproduced, the Porter Garden Telescopes, by Telescopes of Vermont. And I'm going to be speaking with Russ Schleipman, and he's going to tell me about this very special instrument. But it's incredibly decorative, and you can see pictures of it at realdirtradio.com. I wish I could afford one. It's really something. It's kind of Art Nouveau and turn-of-the-century-looking. It's, it's really a special piece, and it's made of bronze, and it also is a functional work of art. Hello, Russ. I want you to tell us about the Porter Garden Telescope. First of all, how are you doing today? Good, thanks. Good morning, Ken. Good to be here. Thank you. Uh, the, the telescope is a historic piece created in the 1920s by a fellow named Russell Porter, 
a Vermonter optical engineer who ta also taught at MIT and worked at Jones and Lamson in Precision Valley in Vermont. And out of his love for astronomy and his great artistic abilities, he was also a painter whose Inuit portraits grace some of our national galleries. He created the, the Porter Garden Telescope, which is a very unusual piece. It's a reflecting telescope, but packaged very non-conventionally in Art Nouveau sculptural botanical bronze that makes a permanent garden installation with removable optics. When the optics are in, it's a very, very good telescope. Uh, the accuracy of the primary mirror is within millionths of an inch in its curvature, and they are currently designed by a fellow who does military spy satellite work. So the optics <laughs> are very good. But when they lift out, it's a beautiful, graceful Art Nouveau piece with avian qualities. It looks a bit like a swan um, uh -huh. or Spartan armor, depending on your viewpoint. Um, but it's a it's a graceful, very unusual piece, and uh, it actually was the impetus for uh, it was a model, I guess, for the 200-inch Palomar telescope, the Big Mirror. Porter was part of a team that Rockefeller sent to California to see what and where the country should build the big one. And his contribution to that whole effort was the way that huge mirror is mounted. It's sort of double gimbal, or it's gimbaled on two axes. One swings through the other. And while it looks pretty obvious, someone had to think of it, and he did. And it was actually a pretty clever way to hang that mirror so it could swing in two axes. And that was taken from the small garden telescope. Well, it's it's hard to describe on the radio, but I want to tell listeners that they can see pictures of the Porter Garden Telescope at realdirtradio.com, uh, just so they know, uh, because it is, well, it's unique, although actually I have a question about that. Did Porter only make one? He actually designed another telescope, which derives greatly from this design, but has a is, is a refractor as opposed to a reflector, where which means you look through a glass lens like a spyglass, mm -hmm. and we're working on adapting that to the same base, actually. It was never made, but we found drawings, which is rather exciting. Wow. And he did other things, too. He did a sun clock, and he did another larger telescope also. But the, the garden telescope is what got the most traction if you will. One ended up in the Smithsonian. Uh, 55 is the highest known serial number, though of those, only about 25 are accounted for. It was fun when we started making noise and publicity about our efforts to reintroduce it to the world. People came out of the woodwork saying, gee, I've got one in my basement and I got pictures of all sorts oh, incredible. of abominations where it had been cut in half and somebody didn't know what it was and said, is, is this one too? It came with the house 20 years ago, et cetera. And we actually just found uh, number 17 that a landscape architect has down in Florida. They were given by some dignitary years ago, didn't quite know what they had, saw our ad, and another one came to light. So that's been fun to to discover the 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 archives and the original the original one is from the 1920s yes 1923 it was the patent and of those as i said 20 odd are still in existence one was in a little museum in springfield vermont at the hartness house a little inn that's also home to a museum of the 
Springfield telescope makers, which Porter founded back in the 20s, mm. to coax all his co-workers to come out and, and look upwards and appreciate the, the cosmos. And they have one of the originals, which my father saw back, oh, in the late 70s or early 70s, actually, and saw it, fell in love with it, and said, I'm going to have one of these if I have to build it myself, not knowing quite how prophetic that <laughs> would be. <laughs> and for almost 30 years, he would go back to them, to friends who, who were members of that august organization, and say, you know, I'd love to take this commercially, and uh, um, we can improve on the optics, which are better nowadays than they were in the 20s. And they were always a bit skeptical because the original patterns were lost. And when you cast something in bronze and the bronze cools, it shrinks in the mold. So your dimensions change. And we had to match old dimensions to within thousands of an inch. So you didn't which, make a, a mold from an existing one? No, you couldn't do that because you would end up with one that was slightly smaller. If uh -huh. you throw an apple in sand as a pattern and cast it, you'll end up with a, a different apple, maybe even a plum. So <laughs> it, it shrinks, and, um, and it's nonlinear, which means skinny shapes shrink differently than massive shapes. So it's, it's a complicated piece of uh, engineering to do so. But so they were skeptical that it could be done well, and, and the Springfield telescope, or telescope makers did not want a bad version out in the world, understandably. But my dad's work embraces things such as turbines that spin at a million RPM on liquid helium for maglev trains and other sort of arcane engineering that, uh, driven by his his Swiss gene pool, <laughs> and mm. uh, as I as I said, his wood piles will outlast the pyramids. <laughs> and uh, he he convinced him that, that he could do it, and he joined forces with a pattern maker in New Hampshire, Dave Nugent, who is wonderfully talented. In fact, the Japanese diet comes to him to do their architectural details all the way from Tokyo. So he's superlatively talented. And the two of them basically pondered, scanned, measured, photographed, and absorbed all the salient relationships that define the piece so it could then be digitized, and then new patterns interpolating the shrinkage could be made so that we could cast pieces that shrunk to the right size dimensionally and then um, be off in manufacturing. And, of course, there was the, the making of jigs and fixtures that hold these yeah. strange floral shapes in a lathe and a milling machine, and then the design of the optics. So there's been a, a pretty steep engineering curve in a few different realms for about three years but for a year and a half now we've we're out of the gates and actually uh, selling them mostly through landscape architects to uh, the folks who appreciate it and um, have the wherewithal it's not an inexpensive toy there's a lot of hours in each one so it is an expensive piece so when was the first one uh, produced the, the final first one the uh, our, our version mm-hmm um, about two years ago. Uh, so, so from the 1970s to the early 2000s, mid-2000s. Yeah. My, it was four years ago that we got the go-ahead, and the museum said, yeah, go ahead, we'll, we'll give you enough rope to hang yourself, we'll lend you one for three weeks, <laughs> from oh. which we could pattern, and that, that's when it all started. It was a 30-year courtship on and off, certainly not a, a constant effort, but every few years my dad would go back to the folks at, at the Springfield Telescope Makers and say, you know, I'd, I'd still love to, to reproduce this and, 
and re-engineer it and and introduce it to the world again and they they'd say well we don't really want to go there and so the last time we proposed it again uh they they felt otherwise and my dad had done some other engineering work for them on one of their telescopes which may have tipped the scales also in his favor because they saw his his workmanship and craftsmanship in the the machining realm but we were fortunately uh, given the the go-ahead by them, which was a very generous move on their part. I'm speaking with Russ Schleitman of Telescopes of Vermont, and we're talking about the new, old Porter Garden Telescope. And when we come back, we'll find out whether you have to look at stars or if you can just stare at your neighbors. I'm Ken Drews, and you're listening to Ken Drews Real Dirt, The Garden Show. Plantskid Animal Repellent is a proud underwriter of Kendrew's Real Dirt. Developed for the forestry industry over 20 years ago, no other product has been so extensively tested for long-term efficacy. For details, www.plantskid.com. P-L-A-N-T-S-K-Y-D-D. Clem's Song Sparrow Farm and Nursery grows extraordinary herbaceous perennials, uncommon trees and shrubs, and a selection of luxurious peonies. Song Sparrow Nursery is a proud underwriter of Kendrew's Real Dirt. Songsparrow.com, S-O-N-G-S-P-A-R-R-O-W.com. Hello and thank you for staying with us. I'm Ken Drews and you're listening to Ken Drews Real Dirt, The Garden Show. And I'm speaking with Russ Schleipman of Telescopes of Vermont. And Russ is producing a, well, I'm going to call it unique, even though there's more than one. It's a unique garden telescope and it's a beautiful sculpture as well as being something that you can use in the garden. And Russ, I want to know if you only can look at the stars or can you configure this to see your views? You know, if you have this up on a hillside or if your, if your garden is up high, can you, you know, can you stare at the, at the neighbors? And I don't mean that in that way, but you know, (laughs) if you have something to see, if there's a, a river in the distance or can you see can you use it as a telescope in other directions? It's, we're going to describe it in a minute, but uh, tell me about that. Ab- absolutely. Um, although the image is not rectified as the term, it is upside down, but depending on how you stand when you look into the eyepiece, you can make the image swing around for your own optical reference. Uh, it is an astronomical telescope, as I said, designed by the fellow who, who contributed heavily to Palomar, and in all astronomical telescopes, or most astronomical telescopes, reflecting ones anyway, the image is inverted. It doesn't matter when you're looking at Jupiter or the moon, but when you're looking, um, spying on your neighbors or the <laughs> sailboats or the wildebeest from the game lodge in Africa, uh, you would rather it be rectified, although you can stand so that it, it somewhat rectifies the image. However, we are developing another telescope that will be interchangeable with the base of this one also designed by Porter, which is a refractor, a glass lens like a spyglass, which will rectify the image. So there'll be the option to swap them in and out, which is a a, a nice uh, happenstance. But uh, particularly with astronomical uh, subjects, as opposed to terrestrial, the moon is the hero. Uh, In fact, there are two eyepieces that can interchange, 50 and 75 power. And with 75 power, you see less than the whole moon, you're in so tight on it. It actually doesn't quite fit in the circular field. And it's spectacular, particularly in uh, sidelight, uh, quarter or half moon, where you get 
a lot of cross light and therefore shadows and right. texture. It's it's really beautiful and it, it's fun. There's a crater on the moon actually named after Porter, which is uh, a, a, a nice uh, bit of synergy. Uh, Jupiter is spectacular in that you actually can see mass to the planet and bands on mm. it. They're tiny, but you can perceive that. And for pinpricks, which are the moon, some of the moons of Jupiter, very, very clearly in the field in a nice straight line plane. So that's pretty exciting to see because you can with good binoculars also, of course, see it, but to see it more powerfully and to, to witness four moons that are, you know, Jupiter's is, is pretty exciting. Wow. Well, you're talking about beautiful things in the cosmos that you can see with the telescope. And I want to try to describe the telescope itself because it is a beautiful thing. And whether you're interested in looking at stars and looking at planets or not, uh, you can just look at the telescope. It's got a base that's you see the mirror on the bottom. It's almost like a sundial in a way, and that's how you would probably have it in the garden on a pedestal, I suppose, uh, on some paving in a special place, maybe build a whole garden around it, a garden of the planets or something like that. And then it's got this arm that comes out of it and off to the side, and I guess that's where your eyepiece is. And what is that, about almost 30 inches long? Almost precisely can, yeah. I think it's 32 inches high when it's vertically deployed. It's the same optics that are in a reflecting telescope that conventionally we're all used to seeing in a big tube with an eyepiece that sticks out the top. And because it's in a tube, no one normally sees what's inside that tube. But at the bottom of it is a parabolic mirror, much like a TV satellite dish. It's a curved Mm-hmm. surface that collects an image and because it's curved just like the wall in front of which you can whisper 50 feet away and hear yourself uh-huh. it focuses that energy to a focal point which comes up the tube and then the focal point is at the eyepiece and it's bent out to the eyepiece with a little diagonal mirror that simply bounces that shrinking cone of light out of the way into the wow. eyepiece so is this like highly polished glass mirror it is it's it's a it's an expensive piece it's a four figure uh, cost piece of uh, mirror. It's a, it's a very precise piece of ground glass that is mirrored, or silvered, I should say, mm-hmm. and it is accurate to, they say, a quarter wavelength, which means angstroms of light, i.e. millionths of an inch, in, in the precision of its curvature. And that that is the collector that's responsible for the, the resolution and the light-gathering power. That's why or the biggest telescope in the world for a while was Palomar, 200 inches across, mm. and similarly accurate to get a good image and collect a lot of light. So that's and how, it how works. large is yours? How large it's is six the inches across? Six, it's wow. um, diminutive compared to Palomar, although it, it was a model in some ways for Palomar. And the pieces are all cast in bronze, and I guess some some of these telescopes, have, as you mentioned, have been outdoors for decades. Yes. I don't know if yeah. they still work. Uh, or how I imagine this is designed, of course, to be outdoors. So it yes. lasts quite yep. a long yeah. the time. The optics lift out in seconds and store in a in a handsome chest that comes with it. And the, what's left outside permanently is sculptural bronze. So it's a real marriage of art and science because, as a sculpture, it's a it's a graceful piece. And it can stay outside forever. It even looks good with snow on it. I've seen it. I'm it sure. has a quiet, 
grace to it. it. It looks a bit like a swan with its neck tucked down. If you fold the, the blade downwards or leaving it up, it's, it has a elegant leaf that's that vertical stem that holds the eyepiece. It looks much like, <clears throat> excuse me, the the one leaf that accompanies a ginger flower on that tall, fat stalk, uh-huh. the flower that looks like a magenta pine cone. There's usually one long leaf that's that's on that stalk, and then that, that, in my opinion, is what what this leaf looks like. So it's got a real botanical um, element to it, and little clamps that that lock it in place when you've positioned it look like small courgettes, the little squashes. And the bowl that holds the primary mirror looks like uh, leafy greens, almost like Swiss chard or or um, spinach, with a, with a heavy veins and leaves that are in in real life magenta or yellow against a dark green background. It has that look, but it's, of course all in bronze, so it's got a uh, it, it's like a big salad <laughs> it's in bronze. Yeah, a very graceful salad. I think yeah, gra- graceful yeah. is really the word. <clears throat> and does the the bronze has some kind of patina that is in when you manufacture it that yeah. I'm sure yeah when the castings come out of the molds they're actually not very pretty they're splotchy and can be pinkish and brown and, and inconsistent in their color there's actually a lot of work that, that I've learned through this project a, a casting doesn't come out perfect by any means there's a lot of grinding and polishing of the castings which is a lot of handwork, actually. It's it's a it's a tough job, and then the the bronze is um, patinated or or patinated with uh, torches and and acids that are painted on and then alternately heated. A fellow stands there with a torch and and brushes in alternate hands and goes back and forth. It's a very subjective process, but depending on the salad of chemicals that you use or, or the cocktail, I should say you end up with different colors, and, and we offer one that's a, a warm, nutty brown, and then we added recently a verdigris that mm-hmm. looks like an old copper roof, and, and it's it's really beautiful. The Garden Telescope is a functional work of art. I've been speaking with Rush Schleipman of Telescopes of Vermont about the Porter Garden Telescope, a very unusual, a unique work of art that, as I said, is functional and you can see the stars and you can see the planets and you can see the sailboats on the lake. I like that image. And Russ, thank you so much for being my guest today. I can't wait for all the listeners to see the telescope and you can see the telescope at realdirtradio.com and also at www.gardentelescopes.com. Right? Excellent. Well, thank you, Ken. It's a pleasure joining you and uh, thanks for your interest and enthusiasm. Again, I've been speaking with Rush Schleipman of Telescopes of Vermont, and we've been talking about the Porter Garden Telescope, which is a work of art that is also a telescope. And uh, you can look at the stars, and you can look at the distance, and you can look at the views, and you can just sit and look at your telescope because it is a beautiful thing and very difficult to, to describe, which is why we're going to have some pictures up at the realdirtradio.com website. I talked before about placing sculpture and art in the garden, and it's tricky. And if you had something like this telescope, you would want to have it in an open space, of course, because you want to get right up to it and use it to look at the stars and the planets or to look at the views. And I think it 
really would need a special place. This, this isn't something you could add to a garden just anywhere. You would want to make a special spot for it, probably on the highest place, uh, the highest spot on your property, and give it a a place of honor, especially because it's not an inexpensive item. You could hear what went into the production of the Porter Telescope. This is uh, this is for those of you out there who can afford something wonderful like this. And, and I really want to suggest that the landscape architects and garden designers who listen to the show also check it out because this may be something, just the thing to build a garden around that that special client would adore. Maybe they want three. And of course, you can see those pictures at realdirtradio.com. And please do visit kendrews.com, K-E-N-D-R-U-S-E.com. That's my website. You can see where I'm going to be appearing. My next lecture in November, unfortunately, is sold out, November 11th. I'm really looking forward to it for many reasons, including I can drive to it. It's not too far away. And those are, those are especially appreciated because I don't mind being places. I love to go places and visit people and speak to groups just about anywhere. Are you listening, Australia? But uh, airports... Not my favorite thing. I'd rather be in the garden, wouldn't you? Now you can also send me a tweet at K E N D R U S E, Kendrews at twitter.com. See you next week. <laughs>